Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome, it is Monday. It is the first Football Social Daily of the week and it is transfer deadline day because the last day of January was a Sunday. We get a bonus day of the transfer window. It shuts at 11pm tonight and it is very likely there'll be some business done in the Premier League over the next 12 or so hours. I'm Jim Salverson and it's Marley Anderson and Ian Brennan on the podcast this morning. Yellow tie on today, Ian? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've got the Jim White drinking game ready. <laughs> Excellent. And Marley, are you doing today's podcast hanging out the window of a Range Rover parked outside a training ground in honour of transfer deadline day? Uh, I'm just doing it, doing laps of my kitchen because I'm still buzzing that we actually won a game at the weekend. Yeah, big weekend for Newcastle and their victory. Steve Bruce Ball finally working. Um, don't expect any <laughs> midfielders driving. <laughs> don't expect any midfielders driving halfway across the country to grab a last-minute transfer today. It's probably not going to happen. Nor is a transfer of a massive Brazilian superstar in the final hours of the window for a multi-million-pound deal. But there are some interesting stories doing the rounds, and we'll try and sort the truth from the fiction a little bit later, predict what's going to happen in the last few hours of the transfer window shortly, which by the time you listen to the podcast could well be horribly out of date, but we'll do our best on that one. We also need to wrap up the Premier League's action. Brighton versus Tottenham was the final game of the weekend. It came a little bit too late for our big Sunday review show. That was last night. You can scoop back in the podcast timeline now if you want to listen to our wrap-up of all the weekend's action. But we do need to talk about Brighton versus Tottenham. Jose Mourinho said his players were suffering from sadness after their 1-0 loss to Brighton. If you were a Tottenham player, Marley, what would you be sad about? What would it be that was getting you down at the moment? <laughs> uh, just the, the constant sort of flirting with success and then blowing it. Um, and, you know, they were top of the league four or five weeks ago and now they're 11 mm. points off. Uh, that's that's a, a collapse only Spurs are capable of in such quick uh, succession. Like, you know, they, they've got this thing, they've got this stigma over them that they'll they'll Spurs it and they'll, they'll mess it up. And 
you know, at some point they need to do something different, and they've straight away just as soon as they were top of the league, they've barely won a game. I don't think I can't. I don't even think they've won a a league game since. You know, um, and then going to Brighton last night with no striker, they should still have had more than enough to beat a team that hasn't won a home game since lockdown. Since the yeah, first no striker, lockdown. but they have got Steven Bergwin, they've got Gareth Bale, they've got yeah. players that are capable of scoring goals. Yeah, it's there's more than enough in that squad. Um, you know, even someone like Deli Ali, could you bring him back in? Um, in now there's a space in the team. Could you switch a formation and get and you know give him another chance before he he potentially goes out on loan um, in twelve hours time, whatever it is. So, but no, stayed on the. I think he stayed on the bench. Bale didn't do anything. I think the best thing Bale did was head a head a goal bound mm. shot away from his own goal. Um, and other than that, Spurs were awful. They they went in. They were barely in the game. They were getting dominated. Um, Brighton, good value for the win. Should have probably been two or three nil. Um, but yeah, poor, really poor from Spurs. Marley mentions the lack of goals, Ian, which it will be a concern to Spurs fans. But is it a case of this team can't cope without Harry Kane? Or is it something a bit more deeper than that? Is there something else wrong? Because as Marley says, I think it's, I think it's two wins in the last nine games, which isn't the form of a team that you'd expect to be ch- challenging for even European places, let alone a title. Well, we were talking, um, I think, before Christmas about how Spurs were going really well and, and were they title contenders? And at the time, it's, you know, who are you going to back? Are you going to back Jurgen Klopp? Or are you going to back uh, Jose Mourinho? And how things have changed really since Christmas now, uh, that neither of those teams are, are really in, in particularly striking distance of looking like title winners at, at this moment in time. And we backed... Oh, I think I backed Jose Mourinho because he had that confidence and he had that experience mm. of, of managing his way to a title and he wasn't the sort of manager to choke a title when they had such a lead. And, and now that uh, prophecy has, has changed quite a bit as well. They look really <laughs> nervous to Spurs for some reason now. And, and maybe it's because they haven't got Gareth... Um, well, they have got Gareth Bale. And maybe that is making them nervous. Uh, because they haven't got Harry They haven't got Harry Kane uh, you know, up front. Maybe there's a, a, a thing of having him in the team and the rest of the team know that while he's up there and as long as they can supply Harry Kane, then more often than not, they, they're going to get something. Um, I think that's it. You when know? you've got Harry Kane in the team, you can play badly yeah. and you can snatch a win. It, it kind of like you already always know that if he gets that one yeah. opportunity, there's a goal in him. With Without him, the team can play badly and they'll lose. Exactly, it's like it's like a it's almost like a safety net that more. I mean, Harry Kane's stats speak for themselves, and especially when he's he's playing with with Son as well. That we were saying only recently that they are the most potent um, strike partnership um, of the modern era of the Premier League. That the two of them together. So I think any team would miss having Harry Kane in it. But Spurs, just looking at the the highlights, I look, watched them last night and I've watched them again this morning. They just, you know, they're defending. They look like they're hanging on. And then when they're in front of goal, they, they they look nervous. They they you know, like you say, you got Gareth Bale, a prolific uh, goal scorer in his time. Uh, again, looks nervous in front of goal. It seems like there's a pressure, uh, maybe some pressure from the background of, oh, you know, you can't throw it away from here. Has, has come in from within the club somewhere and, and that seems to be what they're doing it's uh, yeah I mean we we're saying about that Spurs they're going to do a Spurs <laughs> it just seems to be and you think they can't do it they can't do a Spurs from this from this point they're going to be title contenders but they just yeah they just look nervous and and without Harry Kane uh, they they are missing significant strike power that's that's not being filled in from elsewhere around the team as we're seeing with, with other teams like Man City for example they haven't got um, 
an out and out striker as you'd say like Aguero's not been not been playing but the goals have been coming from around the team mm. but that doesn't seem to be the case I want to return and talk to about Spurs shortly but I think Brighton fans will be spitting if we don't talk about their performance last night as well which I put 100% down to Potter's new haircut by the way <laughs> because it was it, it's like it's a great mod haircut. He should be riding a moped down Brighton Seafront rather than managing their football team. So I think that is mostly to credit for the performance. But was this a lucky win for Brighton? Was it one of those scenarios that we've seen recently with the likes of Burnley and Sheffield United where the relegation team grabbed three points off the European challenges, Marley? Uh, no, it's it's harsh and, and unfair on Brighton to say it was lucky. Um Having said that, I don't think they'll. I don't think this is like the start of a new dawn for them, kind of thing. I think they beat a, a really poor team um, and a, a team that's playing really poorly at the minute. Um, but that doesn't take the fact the way that they did play very, very well. I think they had they dominate. I think they had twice as many shots as Spurs yesterday. They were much more attacking. Um, Potter said after the game, it, it was more likely to be two nil to go two nil than one one if there was another goal in the game. Um, and yeah, they, they all they all played well. They defended well. They the the formation was was right. Um, I think it was two back fives playing against each other with, or back threes if you want to say that um, against each other, which is always a bit strange because it can lead to a bit of a stalemate. But Brighton got their balance mm. better, um, probably to do with the fact that Spurs didn't have Kane, so they were too defensive at times. So it was almost like you know five defenders and four natural midfielders and no natural strikers whereas Brighton had the two strikers up there and had an impact and had always give the defenders something to think about um, and they could have won it 2-0 at the end with Alderweireld making a, a ridiculous uh, challenge to make to stop Connolly scoring but that was on that was on Connolly that I don't know he, he didn't manage to stick it into an empty goal from five yards out but on another day that goes in and you know it, it didn't matter in the, the grand scheme of things but Brighton uh have done what they needed to do because you know Newcastle won at the weekend and Fulham blew the chance to to close the gap with West Brom. Um, ended up drawing with them and you know teams down there started winning. So um, Brighton needed to keep up with them um, and pull themselves away from Fulham a bit and they've took that chance um, by getting the monkey off the back. That is the first home win since I think it was last March. Mm. I think they were saying a match of the day last night, which is crazy, but. Um, yeah, fair enough. Good, good performance. They need to go on and, and do something else now, though. They can't go back to, you know, losing silly games by not being able to score uh, goals at the right times and things like that. They need to actually kick on and pull themselves away from Fulham now. Seven points now clear of the relegation zone, which feels like a decent gap to have at the halfway point of the season for Brighton. As you mentioned, it's been a while since they've won at home. Two hundred and fifty-five days in that exactly. It's Different this season, home and away form is slightly out of the window. There aren't fans in the stadiums. We know that's made a difference. But still, in terms of Brighton going on from here, Ian, that's that's a mental win, isn't it? That's kind of a, in, in terms of morale boosting, getting that monkey off your back, the fact you haven't won at home for almost a calendar year is going to be a big step for them going forward. It certainly is a boost at the right time as well, and especially um, where we are with the fixtures and, and this weekend having um, the match between um, West Brom 
and Fulham, which obviously ended in a draw, which which helped Brighton out, I think, in in their Premier League safety. Because if uh, if Fulham had made advances, then maybe uh, Brighton, uh, had they lost that game yesterday, would have been looking over their shoulder even more than probably they are. <laughs> they are I'm, I'm obviously it's lurking, but it's looking a little bit safer, and especially with um, West Brom are playing Sheffield United, aren't they, later this week? Um, mm. So that's that's you know got the potential to to maybe help them out yet further and, and help their security but to get a win at this moment in time I think is vital for them because it was looking a week ago probably like they might be at, day, at risk of getting sucked into it um, I mean there's, there's a few um, a, a few teams that maybe could get sucked into it but I think after this weekend and certainly after later this week when, when those two teams at the bottom meet um, we'll have a clearer picture but I, I suspect that now it's it's I have a feeling that the three at the bottom are, are probably maybe going to have a bit, you know a real battle to, to get out of that situation now and I think it's maybe going to be pretty much as is in that bottom half give or take Ian Wright was backing Sheffield United to survive relegation <laughs> on match of the day on Saturday night I just can't see it I can't it's see a bold it prediction. 13 points it is a bold prediction it's not going to happen though um, back to Spurs briefly I saw some Spurs fans over the weekend I think tongue-in-cheek, suggesting they'd quite like Tim Sherwood back at the club over Jose Mourinho. <laughs> I can simply say that was definitely tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> but yeah, well, Jesus Christ, is there a... the Premier League needs no delays. <laughs> but looking at where Spurs are now, under Mourinho, well, he must have been there, what's he been there over a season now, like almost two seasons. Is there progress in that team under Mourinho? Is there any sign that they are going to get better in the future? Because they're currently sitting in sixth in the Premier League and... It doesn't feel like it should be where they are because, as you say, they were top in the table not that long ago, Marley. But then you think, actually, you fifth or sixth feels kind of where they belong. Yeah, it's uh, it's a tough one, this, because I think because they've gone in a completely different direction, so it's hard to say whether they've gone further because if you imagine like the way Pochettino approaches games, if you can imagine that's like travelling to the left and you see how far you get, Mourinho has came in and done 180 and he's going completely to the right by being counter-attacking, changing the the style mm. and the way they sort of, you know, he talked in his, in that famous Amazon documentary about being a bunch of naughty words um, and making them a bit harder to play against. But he's almost made them, you know, most people would say he's made them too defensive and not enough of a threat on the count, on the, uh, on, in normal play. They seem to be more effective when you've got the ball and they can nick it back off you and go and counter it 100 miles an hour in and score. Um, or they can get a goal out of Harry Kane, which is, you know, as you mentioned before, he only needs half a sniff and he gets a goal. So it's um, it's a tough one to sort of say, you know, it, is he doing better than Pochettino? I think a prime Pochettino this season would have had, would still be first or second in the league. Um, at, at you know at this stage because where they were in December, they were top of the league and with with the way everybody's dropping points this year, I wonder if Pochettino's looking at it from France and going, I my could have had them you know this was the year to mount a title challenge if anyone if anyone's gonna well, that's top first that's first team oh, they're not better than City they're not better than Liverpool they're probably not better than United no but the way things are going this year. People haven't been at the best, and if people aren't at the best, then that's where openings come. You've seen it in 2016 with Leicester. Mm. Everybody beat each other. Leicester just carried on winning. I mean, it's it's not a 5,000-to-1 shot for Spurs to win the league, but 
sometimes it feels like it when they when they can't win simple looking games that are, that are right in front of them and are pretty simple to to sort of navigate and and get the win in. But it's it's hard to to measure the judgment because I do think they are, I think they're harder to play against. I think they're harder to break down this time this um, under Mourinho, but they're not as threatening. You're not as worried about them. You don't think they're going to put. They're going to put a load of goals past us, even though they did it at Old Trafford, and that that was fine. That was the best performance of the season, probably. Um, still, it doesn't happen every week, and you know that's that's a problem for Mourinho. Still very very Spursy, so they're keeping that core bit of their DNA intact, which has got to be a good thing. It's ingrained. Right, we're going to move on. We're going to talk transfers in a little bit, but before we do that, we're going to do heroes and villains from the weekend's action. We'll do that next on Football Social Daily. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Heroes and villains for the weekend now. Just a little taste of the weekend's action. If you want a full review of all the games that took place, you can catch up with Fergal and the team on our Sunday night podcast. Spin back in the timeline and you'll find that. But let's start with hero nominations from the weekend. I'm going to sit out of this one. I'm just going to judge your suggestions. So, Ian, you can go first. Who is your... Because I know Marley won't have prepared this at all, so I need to give him some thinking time. Are you <laughs> but, thinking I have? <laughs> I, I think, I'm sure you've got stats ready and everything, Ian. Uh, oh, 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 go on, go who's, on who's your hero from the weekend's action? Uh, my hero from the weekend's action is um, quite a simple one for me. Um, being a Leeds fan, I'm going to go with Patrick Banford. Uh, now, I, I had a go at him uh, on this podcast last week saying he was missing too many chances and how many goals would Leeds have if uh, you know if they had somebody that, that actually could find the net rather than the stand. Um, but he, he, he paid that back um, in... in Heaps yesterday against Leicester he was fantastic. I think you know he knew that he he hadn't performed as well as uh, he could have done, and I think you know he's he's back. He's got another uh, goal and and another great assist as well. It was hugely selfless. The third goal that Leeds scored, you know, he ran um, uh, half the pitch, uh, if not more, and could have had a shot himself. He was one on one with Casper Schmeichel, uh, but instead uh, squared it across to Jack Harrison because he knew that he wouldn't. Miss and um and and guaranteed the win and yeah I think he was uh, was he I think he was man of the match I think mm-hmm. uh, in the game incredibly and, yeah. selfless that cross yeah, the, the selfless little pass at the end this is the thing with Patrick Bamford and and yeah he he comes in for criticism um for maybe not scoring as many goals as he should but the reason Bielsa sticks with him is because of the amount of work he puts in you know he's he's back defending then he's up front and then he's back defending again and that's pretty much what the whole team do really you know that's why they have this intensity and 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 why they are you know what they are i suppose in terms of what they like to watch necessarily not necessarily mm. always the result but um yeah the ground he covered yesterday was was tremendous and uh you know a great all-round team performance but he was very much at the center of it I absolutely love the fact that he said in his post-match interview as well that he dropped himself as captain in his own fantasy football team yeah, yeah. For, the, for the game. <laughs> so he didn't benefit. He put uh, Son Hoi Min in as his captain. So he, he missed out on the points glut that he got himself. <laughs> Is it crazy to suggest him as a potential inclusion in the England team going into the Euros? Because he's currently the second highest scoring Englishman 
in the Premier League. Harry Kane's yeah. obviously got that spot, but he's only one goal behind. And in terms of form, he's probably ahead of Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Jamie Vardy at the moment. Well, with with Harry Kane being injured, uh, as he is at the minute, and um, obviously we hope he's going to be fixed by uh, the Euros come round, but supposing he was injured, would you, as Gareth Southgate, feel comfortable taking a team into a tournament um, without the top-scoring Englishman in the Premier League, if if that came round, regardless of who that name is? Mm. Uh, you know, you, you would you would think if you're the England manager... Um, whoever that English man happens to be, and even if it is somebody who's perhaps not as fashionable or or, uh, or well known as as um, you know as Patrick Bamford is in terms of the Premier League, um, would you would you leave him out? And I think you know you would leave yourself open to criticism if you then took a team to a tournament that didn't score goals, having left the top goal scorer behind. If that was the case at the end of the season. Be a brave choice to make, particularly if he get, if he carries on at this form, he's going to get into the twenties by the end of the season. So it'll be a brave choice to leave him out. Marley, who's your hero from the weekend? Uh, I'm torn between two, um, so I'm going to mention them both. Um, no surprise that none of them is Steve Bruce, um, but one of them, uh, one of them's Callum Wilson, um, and the other one is uh, Graham Jones, the new Newcastle coach. Uh, who came in last week, and I'll I'll start with him um, purely because the way Newcastle played against Everton at the weekend was completely different to how we've approached games um, over the course of the last 12 weeks where we've not won a single one. Mm. Um, it was weird because Almiron played in a sort of number 10 role, and anyone that's listened to me on this podcast over the past six months has been crying out and saying that he's played his entire career at number 10, attacking midfield. And Steve Bruce sticks him on a wing and hopes for the best every week. And it's almost like it was just its too much of a coincidence that he played more as an attacking midfielder um, this week than... And, and Graham Jones has just came in as a manager. It's almost like Graham's just turned up at the training pitch and said, see that little Paraguayan kid over there? He's an attacking <laughs> midfielder. Don't play him on the wing. He can't cross. He hasn't got a right foot. He's always, you know... Um, got a man on top of him when he gets the ball on a wing so let's play him as a number 10 and if he's rubbish we'll try and sell him in the summer and Steve Bruce has gone hey Jesus he might have a point there <laughs> and then he's played in there and it's all of a sudden we've he's, That's the, he's for someone the that comes from the northeast, that is the worst northeast accent I've heard in my life <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll try and improve on that I was, I was, I was almost did a Paraguayan one then I could have went down a, a willy hole I didn't want to go down but yeah um, he, was, he was great and obviously you know, it, he, he summed up our performance, but you know the the key man of the match was obviously Callum Wilson, um, and his. I just think we we're, we're so lucky to be in our position to have a, a goal scorer as good as him because a lot of teams down in the bottom quarter of the Premier League, you know, the bottom five, mm. um, usually don't have a, a striker as good um, and as clinical as he is. I mean, he, I haven't well, I haven't said clinical. He scored. A, he could have scored four at the weekend, but he got two. Um, one of them. The most insane header from a corner. That that is such a hard header to score. The one he the one he managed to score. But I mean, I was watching the game live, and the way Shelby puts corners in, I'm not a big fan of. When you know how he sort of floats them in, um, kind of like, and they just go up and they have no pace on them. And I'm thinking that's it. Just takes a really really good header to score from there. Mm. And lo and behold, Wilson just gets gets his neck muscles on that and you know powers it into the bottom corner, which is an amazing finish. Gives us the uh, the thing, and then for his 
uh, the the lead, sorry, and then ends up uh, sprinting the length of the pitch to get himself a one-on-one finish and produce the image of the weekend, which was Jordan Pickford um, crying towards his, uh, looking past his right shoulder as it flies in the bottom corner with a, a look on his face to say, oh no, how have the mags beat us again? <laughs> uh, just because he's, uh, he's a sad little Mackham. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's interesting that like you talk about Callum Wilson being a proven goal scorer because he hasn't scored 10 goals in a season since 2018-19 and he got 14 for Bright- for Bournemouth that year. So it's not like he regularly bangs them in, but he seems to be scoring now um, for Newcastle. And if he carries on at the rate, he is scoring. Even though he's had this little dry spell, he'll be- beat his Premier League record, which is no bad place to be considering the form that Newcastle have been in over the last... Well, over the first 20 games of this year let's talk about villains of the year then you can go first on this one then Marley who's your villain of the uh, sorry not the year of the weekend of the year of 2021 is a year of 32 days <laughs> um, it feels like it <laughs> it does actually to be fair um, do you know what? it's a bit of a, a left field one it's not an obvious one this one um, it's Sam Allardyce for me because he said something at the weekend um, after his game, you know, against Fulham and they, they drew two two West Brom, and it really annoyed me because it, it came across as really arrogant. Um, and <laughs> Sam Allardyce came across as arrogant. Yeah. Well, I never. Yeah, it's the sh- <laughs> shock of the century, isn't it? Um, but you know, he said, you know, after the game, obviously it ended two two. They had the lead. They blew it. All the rest of it, back and forward game, and he said, like, you know, I'm doing. I'm doing what I can. I need to keep working with the players, and we def- we need to score three goals to win a match because we're defending really, really bad. Um, and he says I'm, I need to work on that, but at some point the the penny needs to drop with the players. And it, it on the basis of it, you can say okay, yeah, he's probably got a point, but also I think it it smacked of, you know, well I'm a proven, you know, guy. I'm I'm proving that I'm a great defensive coach, mm. and I. I they the players should be better because I'm coaching them and it was almost like you've missed I think you've missed the point here Sam the point is your players are at the bottom of the league and you've took on the challenge to get them out of it you knew they were bad they're 19th in the Premier League when you when you over, when you took over or maybe 18th I'm not sure what they were but you know the point is they're not great you took on this challenge you can't then moan that you've got bad players because they're in the position you were in they were in when you took the job you knew, you knew what you're getting yourself into it's not like they were you know, playing for a team that was fifth or sixth in the Premier League, and there were mm. everything was going well. It's it just it just annoyed me a bit. Like you know what you're getting. You know, Kyle Bartley, Semi Ajay, Darrow O'Shea. They're not Premier League style players. They're not Premier League quality players. Um, they're all decent, but they're not all. You know, they're not a unit that is used to defending, and that's that's your job, Sam. You've got to teach them. You've got to try and instill this this. Um, hard to beat sort of nature that you're so famous for but when he said that I just thought he's been listening to everybody that says oh, you know he's never had a team relegated he's never he always you know improves your defence and it's almost like he's sitting on them stereotypes for me um, and he's sitting on those cliches of Big Sam will get you out of trouble and now it's not going well he's sort of saying well you know the players are the players aren't very good and it's like well that's not a surprise Sam that's it's your job. You took on this challenge, so get on with it. 
Mm. I completely agree. I think there's always been that hint of arrogance about Sam Allardyce and that is part of his appeal, but at the same time, it could be his downfall on this occasion. Ian, wrap us up then. Who's your villain from the weekend? Well, it's it's. Uh, I don't think it's the worst crime in the world, don't get me wrong, but um, I'm going for Jurgen Klopp. And the reason I'm going for Jurgen Klopp, is, have you seen the, uh, did you see when he when he substituted James Milner? Mm. I mean, James Milner just, <laughs> it was like you'd, you'd just told him Christmas was cancelled for the next 10 years. He was absolutely gutted to be substituted and he was having a go at Jurgen Klopp. And I don't know, Jurgen was clearly kind of quite, I don't know, he seemed a little bit cross about it. Um, and, and then he sort of hugged his way out of it, which is um, you know a good way to, good fatherly technique, hug it out. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think there are probably words afterwards. And I just thought, you know, James Milne obviously felt that he was playing pretty well, but I don't know. He was the man who had to deliver the bad news. Maybe James I, Milne is the villain. I don't know. I don't, but there was certainly some beef going on. Well, the substitute, the, I think, was, was it, who was it that came on for, um, for James Milne? Curtis That's Jones. It. Curtis Jones came on mm. and he contributed in the... F- next two goals that Liverpool scored oh, that well, ultimately won in the game so it's probably a validated choice in the end what annoyed me about Jurgen Klopp at the weekend was him at the moment at the beginning commenting on the amount of games that West Ham had played going into that match and saying well yeah West Ham are having a great season but they've played a lot less games than us it's as if <laughs> Liverpool were the first team in Premier League history to play European football at the same time as a Premier League campaign it's like well Deal with it. Yeah, that's the that's the sacrifice of European football. Plus, you have a squad that's twenty percent bigger than West Ham's. So get over it. So Jurgen Klopp having a bit of a whinge ahead of the game annoyed me a little bit. But I was going to stay feel, out of this. I feel like you've paid Ian off to to say Klopp just so you could spoon that into the podcast. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna bite my tongue, but I changed my mind. So we're going to talk about Liverpool next because there is. Probably the most interesting transfer developments this window happening up at Merseyside, and we'll get onto that next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. There is, at the time of recording, just ten and a half hours left of the transfer window. Deals already being done. I mean, massive, great, big, gigantic deals. We've just heard that Glenn Murray has signed full-time for Nottingham Forest from Brighton (laughs) after being on loan there for half a season. So deals like that, that's the kind of thing we can expect over the next... uh, 10 hours or so. There are some interesting transfer deadline day deals in the offing. We'll do our best to pick the fact from the fiction here. Completely appreciate that by the time you listen to this podcast, a lot of this stuff could be out of date. But if you're listening to it on Monday morning or maybe early Monday afternoon, hopefully some of it will still be relevant. Liverpool, we're going to start at, as I said, desperately need a centre-back. We know the injury problems they've had. Looking at a number of players, depending what paper you read, depends on who you think they're being linked with. Um, I'm going to do my best with some of the pronunciations here. Marcel Cent- Marseille centre-back, Douge Caleta Carr. Uh, Mustafi from Arsenal. Ben Davis from Preston. I think that's almost done, Ben Davis from Preston. At about two million quid. He was having a medical up at Merseyside, I heard. Um, and Uzan Quebec from Schalke as well is another name that's being linked with a move to Liverpool over the last couple of hours. A lot of names there, Marley. Who out of that little selection, apart from Ben Davis, we think that one's done, 
do you think is the most likely to happen? And who li- who should Liverpool be looking at to solve those defensive problems? I think, here's a left field choice, Phil Jones, Manchester United, proven Premier League defender, short-term option, why not? Um, do you know what? I, <laughs> do I, I don't know, they've got, they've got issues, Liverpool, but I mean, it seems like this is all going to come, you know, um, to a head with them signing uh, a Cumbrian, Ben Davis, um, from you know playing for Preston at the minute, but he's been there for ages. He's made loads of appearances. He's every bit a Championship defender, um, but that's where Liverpool are. Um, they need bodies. They need negotiations that aren't going to drag on because um, they haven't got long to to um, to get anyone better basically so two million quid i think they're talking about uh, a player going on loan as well to preston that's probably part of the deal um that, that you know that leaves preston without uh without a big hole in their squad type of thing so if they get ben davis it it smells to me of mm. do you remember stephen colker going to liverpool all them years ago i think it was under the brendan rogers and he played about four games and two of yeah. them were up front when he uh, when Liverpool were chasing the game. It was a crazy move, really strange. Um, <laughs> but it, it's just a it's a short term stopgap until somebody gets, um, you know, Matip gets his, you know, hamstrings which are made of quavers uh, back fit or something like that, and um, they, then they can you know say to Ben Davis, thank you, <laughs> but you know we're going to let you go in the summer, blah blah blah, whatever whatever they do, they can get better players in if the boards you know decide to back them. Um, but yeah, I mean, they need they need someone quick. I mean, as much as you know, Nat Phillips and uh, and the other lad as well can what is it Williams um, can can do a job. It's you're always going to look at them and say, oh, you know, if if a striker gets at them, that's the weak link. And then Henderson playing centre back as well, you lose him in midfield um, whenever you're playing as centre back. So it's. It's one of them where you've you've got to get someone just to get the best out of the rest of your team, if nothing else. Um, but yeah, Ben Davis, fine. I think Sepp Vandenberg's going the other way on loan. Um, and sometimes you hear Liverpool fans saying, our academy's brilliant, and blah, blah, blah. We've got this lad called Billy Cumetio, um, who's meant to be this amazing centre-back, this big six-foot-three, solid 17-year-old kid who looks really good. Um, and we've got Sepp Vandenberg as well, and... All of a sudden, Vandenberg's not hasn't kicked a ball in the first team when you've got a defensive crisis. And Billy Cometio played for the under twenty threes um, on Friday or Saturday, I think it was, um, against Man United. They got beat six two by Man United, and that Ahmad Diallo has just played for Man U, um, robbed Cometio, who had a concrete first touch and it bounced off him, and uh, he went he went in and nipped in and scored. And I was thinking, if this kid's so good, why is he not? Why is no one getting a, a game from Liverpool's academy? Um, other than this, Nat Phillips and uh, and Williams, so and Reese Williams, so you know, where's why do you need to go out and buy a centre back when you've got this amazing academy that's produced Alexander Arnold and things like that, and none of them worth worth a go. But instead, he's spending two million quid on a a guy from the Championship who looks every bit a Championship player, as I said before. But is um, it's it's the situation they're in, but. The best thing about Ben Davis is his middle name's Keith. So um, I instantly like him. Benjamin Keith Davis. Brilliant. <laughs> it does feel like a very short-term thing, this one, Ian, doesn't it? I mean, it's not it's not a player that's going to lead them into Champions League glory in the future. It's a get someone in, get the bodies in, get this season done, and then in the summer we'll look at what's happening, whether we need to strengthen or recruit or whatever there. But with the be- with the best 
will in the world and the utmost respect to Ben Davis and even the likes of Mustafi that they're linked with, it's a short-term deal. The the January transfer market is always a bit of a panic buyer's market, isn't it? And you don't really see any real lasting um, agreements that you know in in the history of the January transfer window. Uh, usually, the the main deals, the, the the big deals, the deals that clubs really want, are all done in the summer when there's a little bit more time. Um, I, I've had it. Somebody explained it to me that the the January transfer window uh, and certainly deadline day where we are today, it's very much like nipping into the supermarket. At eleven o'clock at night, just before it closes, then panic buying a pot noodle. As far as uh, <laughs> players players can go, um, and yeah, it's going to be a stopgap because they're going to have Virgil Van Dijk back eventually at Liverpool. Uh, whoever they sign as a, a defender option is going to make way for him when he's back fit, assuming he gets fully back fit. Probably will do. Um, so yeah, I can't see it lasting forever. Um, there was one story over the weekend, though. You might have a, a comment on this, um, Jim. That uh, Issa Diop from West Ham might be in Liverpool's sights as well. I did hear that. I think it's been poo-pooed by the people in the know at West Ham, in particular, as he appeared on the bench for West Ham against Liverpool at the weekend, which would be an unlikely thing to happen if a transfer was in the opening. But, uh, I mean, Diop was a highly rated defender 12 months ago at West Ham, but really fallen down the pecking order, probably fifth-choice centre-back maybe at the club now. So I wouldn't be surprised if he does go somewhere over the next few hours, but I don't think it's going to be Liverpool. Um, let's talk about Leicester, because they look to make a late loan move for Arsenal and England defender Ainsley Maitland-Niles. He's a player that wants to get first-team football. He's got one eye on the European Championships, which are coming up this summer. Southampton, West Brom, Newcastle, all interested in this player as well. Really good player surprising maybe slightly that he's not getting in that Arsenal team but I guess he's just fallen down the pecking order slightly you can see him doing a good job for one of those teams can't you Ian? Yeah absolutely and I think from looking into it that's the question that Arsenal fans are asking it's like hang on a minute Leicester are in front of us in the league and they're looking at signing a a player that that isn't good enough for our team but yet is good enough to help try and get Leicester into the Champions League and what's going on here kind of thing why we why we're letting these these players go out um, at the same time, I think Leicester are looking to to shift um, one or two of their midfielders on uh, as well. It seems it seems that whatever they've got, I mean, Hamza Chowdhury is uh, they're looking to let him leave on loan today. Um, maybe mm. Newcastle or West Brom are uh, are interested. It seems um, I think Chowdhury himself is keen to go to Newcastle, so he may end up there. But so they're shifting him out of midfield and maybe Maitland Niles in. I mean, I think that will be a, a decent swap if you're a if you're a Leicester fan, I think, um, but not not if you're a not if you're an Arsenal fan. I think I was if I was Nathan Miles, I'd be certainly looking more towards the Leicesters and Southamptons and less towards the West Broms and Newcastles, Marley. But is Whoa. he the? Uh, well, yeah, yeah. there's two. Pl- I mean, we won at the weekend. We're pretty <laughs> good now. <laughs> Chick- Chicken Cottage is pretty good near the ground. Like you know, let's not knock it. The um, I mean, there's two players there being linked with a move to Newcastle in Maitland Niles and Chowdhury from Leicester City. Newcastle Chronicle reporting that the Chowdhury deal is a likely one as well, alone till the end of the season. We've talked before about the type of player that Newcastle need, Marley, and neither of these players fit what you've described as the type of player that Newcastle need. Is there a strategy in terms of the recruitment, or is it trying to find players that are cheap and available? <laughs> is that the strategy? Yeah, I think there's. A, it's a cheap and available thing. It's sort of... Let's see what's out there. Let's see what we can realistically do. We can't go out and and sign a 
a specific player type of thing, you know, um, or or for a specific position. I think, you know, we've been linked with some absolute rubbish over this this last month. But Chowdhury and Maitland Niles are probably the best, uh, the best two we have been linked with, especially Maitland Niles. But you know, I think if comparing the teams, he might go to you know Leicester. I don't think he gets to Leicester's first team. I think he's got more of a chance in getting in Newcastle's first team, possibly at right back or even uh, centre mm. midfield, because I think Leicester are pretty sorted at full back. They've got Castagna and Ricardo Pereira fit again, um, and in centre midfield they've they've got a little bit less, I suppose, if they let Chowdhury go. But you know, indeed he's there when he's fit. I think he got injured at the weekend, but they've got uh, Nampalis, Mendy. They've got you know players that. Uh, more established there, even though they play better football. Um, I think Arsenal may as well might might as well be reluctant to let him go to Leicester because they're above them in the table and ultimately they want to reel them in. Um, so why would mm. you strengthen a rival for six months? So maybe if if Newcastle can get get Maitland Niles done, I'd be very happy with that. But um, it does seem like we're going to get Chowdhury, and that's it's he's a good player, but. You know, he's he's a defensive. Does he make your first eleven? Does he slot straight in? Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe not because Hayden is the number one defensive midfielder. It it all depends on the system we want to play. If we play the same way as we do at the weekend, he won't he won't get in because um, well, I don't know what Jeff Hendricks got. He must have you know secret messages from Steve Bruce to to somebody because he's, he keeps on getting in the team so he, he should get in the team he should get in the team ahead of, of Jeff Hendrick by by all means but um, in a sort of defensive midfield role rather than a centre midfield role I think he, he he doesn't get in ahead of Hayden um, so if we were going to play for example like a 4-2-3-1 with two, two ball winning defensive midfielders he'd get in alongside Hayden but it, it just depends mm. on what Bruce is thinking towards the end of the season because we didn't play that way at the weekend, we tended to play a bit narrower um, and got the best out of Almiron and played Fraser almost up front with um, with Wilson drifting around up there a little bit. But he um, he he does play games, hundred percent plays games, Chowdhury. Because if you're winning, you bring him on, you bring on another ball winner, another you know tackler type of thing. So he will get enough games, I think, um, and it's a smart enough move if he does well. He's 22, I think, something like that. So. He's um he's mm. got his best years ahead of him and there's no reason why if he does well for six months you could go and buy him for you know probably about ten million quid in the summer and and get yourself a defensive midfielder for the next five or six years easily. A couple of other interesting moves that are getting talked about. Daily Mail reporting that Southampton are in talks with Chelsea over a loan move for Billy Gilmore, the Scottish midfielder, 19. Looks like Thomas Tuchel's not going to be that interested in promoting youth at Chelsea, so a move to the likes of Southampton could be good for him. And Burnley are interested in a deadline day move for Bournemouth and Norway striker Josh King, although wages could be a problem there. That's in the Lancashire Telegraph. Are you surprised that Josh King's still at Bournemouth, Ian? Because he's been linked with moves all over the place, but it just seems that his wages are always a problem. So is he going to be able to achieve that at the type of clubs that are looking at him? Well, this is the thing. I mean, we've talked about him before, I think, uh, when it was the, uh, the the summer transfer window, if it well, sort of autumn transfer window before the start of the season, that he was rumoured to be going to a few different places. Um 
Bournemouth, uh, with the best will in the world, you know, they there's sort of a, a ceiling to, to how far you, you can go. Um, if he's got, mm. I mean, I know that he plays for uh, for Norway, doesn't he? But and, and you know, with the greatest will in the world, the, the 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 pool of talent that Norway have to pick from is probably smaller than say England or France or Spain or probably. whatever. <laughs> uh, so you know, and and the, and you know, the championship is obviously still a, a decent. Um, uh, level as well. Um, it's it's interesting that the wages are getting in the way, and I've seen it a few times with 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 various players. And I don't know if you remember that Sunderland documentary, the the Netflix one, which always provides great hilarity to to everybody, I think particularly in Tyneside uh, on an annual basis. That uh, and, and another player actually was rumoured to be um, looking for a transfer today. Uh, I think it's Josh Madger, uh, who he was similar. He had big wages, and and he was very reluctant to go anywhere because it was all about the money you know mm-hmm. and and that can really hold you back and and uh, and, and it's usually ended up at bordeaux yeah and he's done nothing yeah. he's done nothing and <laughs> yeah. and he's now desperate to get out of bordeaux because he hasn't nothing sure. happened he's been, he's nothing. been one of the and, many strikers linked with a move to west ham in this window <laughs> yeah yeah and 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 do you know what it's not the player it's the agent you know mm. every time an agent makes a transfer money moves into their account as well and some agents I think probably quite like having these players that they can just sort of play around with as and when uh, and you don't know what the deal is really and what goes on some mysterious things go on in, in football deals from what I've heard as yeah. far as agents are concerned uh, more than meets the eye and um, it's yeah I think it's probably holding him back would the player given his is it the player's choice or is it the agent's choice would bother me my question as to why he's allowed or not allowed to leave or is it the club? Are the club just sticking to the contracts? It always makes me, it always gives me makes me feel cautious when my team is linked with a player who has ridiculously high pay demands. And the situation with Josh King Marley is that his contract is up in the summer. He'll be free to leave on a free transfer then. So Bournemouth probably want to un- up- offload him to get a little bit of cash into their pockets. But when a player is demanding. I think it's in the region of a hundred thousand pound a week. He's after. It, it kind of it makes me question whether they actually want the move or not, and how much desire they have to play football at the club they're going to. Well, two things here. You, number one, you're not going to get a hundred grand a week at Burnley. Um, but <laughs> and number two, you probably want hundred grand a week to play for Burnley. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's the same old thing, isn't it? With with Josh King, you know. Two things with Josh King. What number one? What's his best position? Number two, is he that good? And number three, is he worth the wages? I would say no. Um, a hundred grand a week. I think there's a big, you know, when Bournemouth went down, there's a big sign in who was bought, who was bought from Bournemouth, mm. who was cherry picked, uh, quite literally, who picked from the cherries, and it was Wilson, and it was um, Fraser. Obviously, left by a by mutual thing of, of running down his contract. Ramsdale was was picked um, and, and so was Nathan Ake and that was it. And it was like Josh King was just like the best of the rest left over and he, I'd still say Lewis Cook's a better player than than uh, Josh King. So if you're going to go to Bournemouth now and say, give me your best player or you know we're going to go and take Bournemouth's best player, it's not even Josh King. So well, David Brooks is any... still there, isn't it? David Brooks is a very yeah, good player. Bro- and he's, Brooks he's is another one I'd I'd take Brooks over him as well. Um, there's, there's basically we're, we're proving the point, aren't we? Mm. Josh King is not that sort of. He's not obviously too good for the championship. He's not 
a player who should definitely be in the Premier League because if he was a player you should definitely be in the Premier League something would have happened in the summer like it did with Wilson Ramsdale and um, Ake so somebody would have come and got him by now and that's why now you're seeing six months later clubs like Bom, uh, clubs like Burnley sorry taking taking interest in him and that's no, no real disrespect to Burnley but it, it's sort of a, a different level to the ones that were linked with him in the summer I think he was linked with Everton and Everton went 100 grand a week you're having a laugh sorry lad you're, you're staying in the south coast I'm sorry um, and six months later it's the same problem because he's he wants the money, and that never, that 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 never sort of, you know, inspires confidence in a buying club when when they're saying, "I want a hundred grand a week." Like, do you want a hundred grand a week, or do you want to get out of the championship? Do you want to play in the Premier League, or do you want to play in the Championship? Because, you know, we can take either. That's what I'd be saying if I was Burnley. Come and come and play for us in the Premier League, or stay there and do just rot in the championship not being one of the best players in your team not being one of the best teams in the in the division just stay there and see out your career and go on a free to you know someone i don't know god knows where he'll end up on a free but even on a free and when his contract runs down he'll still want a big signing on fee and he'll be back to square one all over again so do yourself a favor take a little bit of a a, a reality check take a little bit less money than you possibly want and go and play football where you uh, where you've got the best chance of being noticed again. I think Marley might be backing Josh King to still be a Bournemouth player at the end of this transfer window by the sound of it. If you want to keep up to date with all the latest transfer news, then sports-social.co.uk is a great place to do that. We will confirm all the latest news as it happens on that site. There's also a transfer blog so you can keep up to date with the latest rumours and gossip and everything that's going to go on over the next what is now... 12 hours a little bit of mental, <laughs> mental arithmetic that I was struggling with there I think that might have gone up since my estimation earlier <laughs> uh, but that is it for today's podcast thank you very much Marley cheers guys thank you nice one Ian cheers thank you click subscribe so you never miss an episode of this show and we'll see you next time on Football Social Daily bye bye Football Social Daily from Sport Social find us on Facebook search Sport Social Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.